You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Oh, that was, was that enough W's for you, Mitchell? I know oh. we talked about this before, but maybe I can sell it a little bit harder for you. I, you know what? Hold on, just run back the tape. Use the rewind the tape uh, sound effect. Let's let's draw it out. Yep, there you go. Nailed it. Okay, and action. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm Eric. Name. Not joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. Frank was a little bit busy tonight, so he was unable to join us. So we still had a mailbag to finish up, and I went into, you know, got the Rolodex out, went in the office and flipped it around a little bit, and all of a sudden I I landed in the M's and found Mitchell Maurer, the managing editor at Brew Hoop, who's going to fill in for Frank tonight, and I'm very appreciative of it, and thank you, Mitchell. You are welcome, and you can also add director to my list of accolades, because that was just... Bravo, Eric. I could, I could feel the VCR in the room. Wow. Um, you know, I've, I wasn't ready to put on a performance like this, but, you know, um, it's necessary. So Your clutch. Your clutch. Someone's got to be, you know. With Frank out, you know, everyone's just got to step up. We all got to be basketball players, next man up. Um, just got to be a professional because that's what this podcast is about. Um, we had a bunch of stuff in the mailbag still. Um, I sent that over to you earlier earlier today, so you have some idea of what's happening there. Um, but also tonight, we saw the all-star lineups come out. Uh, obviously, a little bit different. For some reason, it wasn't televised, but the, mm. they did a draft with LeBron and Steph Curry and... I believe it was done on conference call, and uh, I, was, I don't, do you think like they had help? Like, do you think the general managers for the Cavs and Warriors were like in the room, like giving tips, or do you think it was just literally Steph and LeBron, and then like um, I don't even know who else you would have on that call? It's probably someone from the PR uh, department from each team. Like, I have I have no idea how it worked. Um, yeah. But they yeah, it, definitely, it definitely seems like a, a PR person's job to be involved with that, just like kind of give advice. What I do I, imagine is that with any sort of conference call system, that they had to figure out the login yep. and then punch in the code, and mm-hmm. then somebody forgot to hit pound, so they're all wondering why it hasn't connected yet. And there's that terrible hold music that you're going to get on any conference call system ever. Yep, and then, and then, just, and then Adam just, Silver forgot to mute his his phone, <laughs> and you could still hear him fiddling around with stuff in the background, and it was just totally obnoxious. Um, but yeah, I assume that I, I guess that would probably be how it would be. Um, but I am kind of enjoying the idea of Kobe Altman or Bob Myers just like hanging out and helping out um, and trying to figure out how to put the best team together. Uh, but oh, there's that, a big board. There's a big board. <laughs> That is all beside the point um, as we take a look at it, how this pertains to the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis Tedekumbo will be a starter and he will be starting for Team 
Steph. He is on Team Steph Curry. The starters for that lineup, Steph Curry, DeMar DeRozan, James Harden, Giannis Adetokounmpo, and Joel Embiid. And for Team LeBron, that leaves LeBron James, DeMarcus Cousins, DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. Um, So that is a huge team. That is a monstrous team. Um, And as we were trying to figure this out before the podcast, LeBron had the first pick. Mm -hmm. Gotta be Kevin Durant, right? Like, out of Boogie, AD, Durant, and Irving, Durant would be the guy, right? That's, That's who I would pick. He's definitely the best player among that quartet. Okay, so KD goes to Team LeBron, and then I think Team Steph has to answer with Giannis, right? Like, oh, for uh, sure. Giannis, DeMar, Joel Embiid, or James Harden, unless maybe it was Harden, but if you're Steph Curry, I feel like you want a forward to go along with you as opposed to another guard who might dominate the ball, so you would go with Giannis. If you're Steph Curry for the All-Star game, you want to ensure that you're not going to get viciously dunked on like you did last year. <laughs> and so you just take that vicious dunker and you make sure he's on your side. Yeah, yeah. and really, if you're thinking about this, you want the try-hard on your team. Like, if you're in the oh, yeah. All-Star game and you know how hard Giannis tried last year, like, you want that on your team. You don't want that on the other side. Like, you don't want to be harassed by him full court. Like you're, and and maybe maybe the they've gotten the message to like, hey, Giannis, like you don't need to try so hard. But I'm not convinced. Giannis doesn't seem like the type of guy that would take any night off. Um, nope. So I assume that that would be the way it goes. So that's your first two picks, and then we were drawing this up before and looking at those lineups. I I think this is what we got to. Durant goes to LeBron. Giannis goes to Steph, and then looking at AD, Boogie, and Kyrie Irving, I assume Anthony Davis was LeBron's next pick. Um, yeah, either, either him or Boogie. Like, those two are both excellent players, obviously. Um, you can make an Kyrie argument. Kyrie Irving's definitely the last one that he selected, right? Like, there's, there's no way he selected Kyrie Irving earlier than that. Uh, I mean, given that, given how huge LeBron's team is, it would kind of be irresponsible for Curry not to take Davis or Cousins if they were available. So if they were not available at all, then that's that's the only way that that could shake out as far as I can tell. Yeah. So yeah, Kyrie would have to be the last one picked by LeBron, oddly enough. Yeah, and it, I guess kind of a game of chicken by Steph Curry. Like, are you going to draft him? Are you going to draft him? Are you going to draft him? Like, Not that Steph Curry necessarily wants Kyrie Irving in his lineup, but... It, James Harden's definitely better than Kyrie Irving. Um, So you would definitely go there. So I think that third round is AD to LeBron, James Harden to Steph. And then you have four guys left, Boogie, Embiid, uh, Kyrie Irving, and DeMar DeRozan. And I think for the LeBron roster to make sense, he would have had to go all bigs to start. And then leave guards to the end. So I'm going to say Boogie was probably his next pick. And yeah, then, I agree with that. And then Embiid over to Steph, and he gets his first kind of true big. Uh, and then that leaves Kyrie Irving and DeMar DeRozan. And apparently LeBron picks Kyrie Irving over DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, they're both averaging the same number of assists. So I guess DeMar is just as good of a point guard as Kyrie, but... Yeah, it's for all the drama that seems to surround Cleveland just in perpetuity to this day. 
Um, you know, the news about Jason Kidd getting fired was overshadowed with all of the nonsense happening with the Cavaliers right now. But yeah, in this case, James seems to took Kyrie. So, and that leaves DeMar to Steph. Yeah, I think that kind of shakes out. And I don't know, it's interesting. LeBron's lineup is monstrous. Um, just crazy big. And uh, Steph's is, I would say, normal-ish sized. Uh, because Giannis is a four, Embiid is a five, uh, and then Harden and DeRozan, like, they, I guess they don't truly have a small forward with Harden and DeRozan, both serving more as point guards and shooting guards. Um, but I think that's a normal size lineup. And then LeBron went yeah. monstrous. Um, so it'll be kind of fun to watch how that all goes, but we do need to move on and we do need to keep the mailbag rolling and All right. we got a bunch of questions left and obviously we knocked out a bunch of the kid ones last night we talked about possible coaching candidates and we talked about a bunch last night so we'll try to keep it moving here today um, and Kyle Burling asks on Twitter what does the last few days tell you about the power structure in the front office? Does Horst have more power than everyone has assumed? I'm kind of enjoying imagining that he's low-key ruthless. <laughs> Which I think I'd probably agree with Kyle. Um, but Mitchell, where where do you come out on that? In terms of power structure in the front office in Milwaukee, because of the weird ownership situation, I don't think we'll ever truly know. Um, and honestly, I think that the answer to this question uh, draws very heavily on how much you believe or not believe uh, the report from uh, Bill Michaels about the apparent blow-up during practice that was uh, not necessarily debunked by some of the reporters that were involved uh, at the practice facility that day. Um, but they gave a pretty strong indication on Twitter that the story that was related to Bill Michaels isn't how it went down. And I, I'm a thousand miles away, so I have no idea. I would say I have not heard anyone involved in the situation that has said that something like that has gone down. And obviously like, I'm not talking about like talking to Jason Kidd or John. <laughs> like I haven't talked to either of them about the situation, but from, from folks in the building and around the organization, um, that sounds far-fetched um, yeah. as far as any of them have said. And again, I mean, maybe if you are in the organization, you wouldn't want something like that getting out. And I'm sure that would be the retort of, of Bill or anyone else who wants to believe in that idea that there was a blow-up and then that kind of caused uh, John Horst to say this was enough and kind of get rid of Jason Kidd at that moment. Um, so I understand that, that would kind of be your your first reaction that if you do want to believe it, well, no one in the organization is going to confirm something like that. Of course they're going to deny it, and that's fine. Sure. And you can have your conspiracy theory, which there are plenty of uh, throughout all of Buck's Twitter for just about any topic. So that's totally <laughs> fine if you want to believe it. But I would lean towards saying that did not happen. Um, but continue. Sorry. No, it's all good. It's all good. I, I, my uh, thoughts on it are completely um, nebulous. I don't know what to believe. I never know what to believe. But anyway, just kind of zooming back out into the larger picture of the power structure, um, it, it does seem that Horst was the one to fire Kid. Of course, he had to get the approval of ownership to do so, but Horst did fire Kid. That was unthinkable. 
on Sunday. Yeah, yep. nobody would have ever believed. I know there are uh, a number of posters on Brew Hoop that openly questioned Horst's uh, authority within the organization. You know, uh, a general manager in name only. You know, mm-hmm. and some people had some other, not necessarily complimentary terms for Horst uh, up until uh, Jason Kidd's firing. But I'll tell you what, after the firing went down and it did eventually get reported that, I mean, Horst himself admitted that he was the one that made the decision and then got the backing of ownership. Like that's really impressive for the youngest, lowest paid GM in the league for an up and coming team. That's getting not necessarily a ton of national attention, like definitely higher on the national radar, but not the most focused from national media and is getting, I would say the vast majority of fans were pretty brutal towards the team because of a lot of the drama that was surrounding Kidd and his general abilities or lack thereof as a coach. Um, And the fact that Horst was the one that was able to get him out when he did, not just the fact that it happened, but the fact that it happened in January instead of the summer, I think that says a lot. I think that says that he is able to get done what needs to get done you know, another example would be trading for Eric Bledsoe when the opportunity was there to give up not much more than Greg Monroe, who's good, but not a fit here, and a protected first, which is, you know, the protections are better than we maybe could have expected. You know, it's it sounds like he comes through in the clutch a little bit in his very, very, very young tenure as GM. And I think that that is important. Uh, I don't really think it's something you can quantify, especially in a front office setting, but low-key ruthless. I might, I might believe it. So I guess here's where I kind of start with it. And it's something that obviously we've mentioned on the pod before and uh, we brought up during the summer. The Bucks were considering firing Jason Kidd during the summer. Like yes. the, 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 I know I, I, it was Brian Windhorst that reported it originally. And I know I think during the summer, like, I know we brought it up and I had talked mm-hmm. around with some people and confirmed essentially that, that they were thinking about that. And I think a lot of people kind of brushed that off and just thought like, yeah, you know, whatever, like until it happens, like I don't actually believe that they're willing to do it or they're even thinking about it, which I think is like totally fair like, with what you've heard about the organization and kind of what you've seen from the organization for years. I, I could kind of believe not believing that. Um, so I guess I don't know if I see it as a ruthless use of power where John Horse just sweeps in and decides that now's the time. Like, I think this is something that the organization has been thinking about for a while. And Mm -hmm. I think it kind of got to a spot where they said, okay, the team's in the eighth spot right now. They have an easy 11 games going into the all-star break. I think somewhere around 40% is their win percentage. So like it's, it's low from their opponents yeah. And if we don't do it now, there's a chance that this team wins 7 of 11 going into the break, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden looks good at the All-Star break, and we can't fire Jason Kidd at that point. Like he, He's done enough to look good there. So uh, I would say that uh, I'm sure this wouldn't get made if John Horst would have really stood up and say, like, no, like I'm 100% constant. I believe... 100% in Jason Kidd. This is the guy. We cannot make this decision. This would be a huge mistake. And 
like if he thought that way, it wouldn't have happened. So certainly John Horst is there, but as we've seen throughout this kind of summer or yeah, this past summer and since ownership has been around, like ownership does what it wants like that. They would be the ultimate say. So um, I have no doubts that John Horst wanted to do it. I have no doubts that ownership had to approve him doing it, but I also have no doubts that all of them agreed on it and decided that now was the time. So I don't know that I, I see him being low key ruthless, but what I will say is that he does seem willing to strike when it's necessary. And I think it would be difficult not to be impressed by the moves that he's made thus far as a general manager. Uh, because you look at, you you already mentioned it, the Eric Bledsoe deal. And again, you can talk about mortgaging the future with with a first-round pick and the protections that were necessary for it and kind of wasting the, maybe the one shot you had at adding something. And I would understand that. But at the same time, that was a pretty cheap price for Eric Bledsoe, mm-hmm. who, who's, who's a talented player. So he saw it and struck and then when you look at kind of the way that they've used their two ways this year, um, I think they've used it about as efficiently as possible where they've used the two ways uh, or the two way days, like those 45 days as much as possible. They've been able to bring in guys that they needed and use them and they've kind of been able to cycle through them and they've uh, signed guys immediately and then also been willing to cut like they've just moved aggressively throughout this year and for yeah. an ownership group that wants to win that seems like the type of gm that you'd want that he is willing to make decisive and aggressive strikes and thus far mm-hmm. that appears to be what john horst is yeah there's a there's a corporate buzzword that fits john horst's performance perfectly so far it is action oriented he is an action-oriented leader. He goes and does things. He just, by all accounts, based on just the transactions that we have seen occur in the last what? What is how long has he been on the job? Six, seven, eight months? Not even? Yeah, six-ish or so. Yeah, it's it's it, we've seen a lot of action in Milwaukee that was to your point about the timing of getting kid you know, pushing him out the door if that's what the intention was from. Uh, the GM and from ownership before the team could recover and get their record into a more yep. respectable position. Um, you know, just looking at the opportunity and striking when the iron is hot, you know, taking action when action needs to be taken. He did that with Bledsoe. He did that with firing kid, which I don't think we've had anybody, not even me, who is one of Jason Kidd's biggest defenders to my eternal shame. Um, like nobody wanted him to stick around. Yeah. At, at maybe about the quarter point of this season, like everybody was over it, and yeah. he found a way to make it happen. So that says a lot. So how much power does Horst have? You know, nobody's going to know for sure, but he definitely has more than we maybe expected. In short, John Horst about that action. About um, that action. Okay, moving on to this is from Rick. He says to offer some respite from kid questions and more serious stuff. I've got a couple tantalizing queries one what's the deal with Giannis and chris always having their jerseys untucked aside <laughs> chris always looks like what i presume presume eric looks like when he balls the tall guy who played a little college ball at the local rec center which okay that's fair um i, I am on the taller side and I, I did play a little bit of college ball so i will allow that um sure. as far as what's the deal with their jerseys being untucked they never tuck it back in 
Like that's right. why it's untucked all the time. Like everyone's jerseys come untucked. Like that's yeah, just that's just how it works. But they never at any point at the free throw line um, as they're kind of getting up or down the floor, like they never go to tuck it back in. To me, that's, that's uh, I, I think, a relatively easy answer that they just never feel it necessary to ever tuck it back in. Another possibility that I think Bucks fans might, uh, it might resonate better with Bucks fans is that because Giannis and Chris are constantly getting the jerseys pulled, is that the jerseys are getting pulled out from their shorts, and that's why they're constantly untucked. You know, Yaz gets followed a lot. Chris maybe doesn't get as many whistles, but certainly, you know, on his many post-ups and fadeaway mid-range jumpers, like, maybe his jersey's getting pulled out. I don't know. A theory they may enjoy less, they both play so many minutes that they don't have the energy to tuck (laughs) their jerseys back in. Uh, Uh, You know, just spitballing out here. I think you found it. I think that's the answer. (laughs) Number two. From Rick, what's the deal with our Fox Sports Wisconsin announcer situation? Is this McLaughlin's final year? Why is Novak stealing time from Marcus? Note, please continue presenting examples of Marcus Johnson's greatness. I'd like to offer his call on Thon Game Posterized by Westbrook. He was tasting chest and eating zeros. Or his call <laughs> on a recent Tony Snell ISO attempt. That possession had disaster written all over it. And yes, um, I would say Marcus is an absolute delight. There's literally no doubt about it. I don't think anyone could ever attempt to deny it. Um, As far as Novak stealing time from Marcus, I would say there's some truth to that, but also I know Marcus headed out to uh, back out to California to watch his kid play basketball, um, Mm -hmm. which yes, do it. Like your kid's only going to be in high school once and you want to see him play basketball. So feel free to take a couple weeks and go do that. So that was, I know a lot of the time where people are like, where is Marcus? He had been gone for a couple weeks and that was kind of what he was doing. Is this Johnny Max final year? I mean, it's gotta be awfully close because he's just not in the rotation often very much anymore. Uh, he's not doing every home game. He's just doing some mm-hmm. home games. Um, so I don't know what the deal is, but I think your premonitions are pretty close to right, Rick. Yep, agreed. Um, and I actually, I've got a soft spot for Johnny Mack. So his when uh, I forget when he called Jabari a major cat down there, and yep. it started like it didn't really hold. But <laughs> I'll always refer to Jabari as major cat till the day I die yep. because of that call. He's just he's a goofy old man, and I love him very much, almost as much as I love Marcus Johnson because he is incomparable. He's just he's the best. Correct with Marcus, it's like. Okay, he's kind of a homer. He's very fun, but also he's very good at this. Oh yeah. And with Johnny Mack, it's like, okay, he's a homer. He's a legend. He's been around forever. He gives me fond memories of my childhood. And there's a nostalgia factor. But he's probably not good at this anymore. Um, but that's okay. Like I like I like I've said before, I rarely, if ever, am watching a home game on television like that's just not yeah. something i do because i'm always in the arena but when mm-hmm. i see complaints about johnny mack and my mentions i get upset because it's just like you know what he's a legend you just got to deal with it like it he's got to go out he's got to ride out into the sunset and that's how it's going to be so if you got to deal with him saying pop-up zone 20 times <laughs> in five minutes you're gonna have to deal with it like that's just how it's gonna have to be because johnny mack gets to do what he wants yeah just lead, let johnny mack be let him have his victory lap and yes. just and then we'll enjoy full-time Marcus Johnson whenever we're blessed for that. 
Absolutely. That, that, that would be where I'm at. Um, another email, um, shout out to all of you for actually using the lockdown bucks at gmail.com email account. Um, we never really thought people would use it, but that's great. Uh, NASA Malice says, the the idea is rotation slash development under kids leadership. I think he stifled the development of some of the players on the team that needed more of a supportive approach with slow easing into gameplay and encouragement versus versus Giannis, Jabari, Malcolm, and Sterling who were mature and NBA ready earlier and responded a little bit better to kids approach with the change in coaching. Can you talk about how this may affect the development of some of our younger players, namely Rashad and DJ Wilson? This may even be relevant to Thon. I'm worried Bucks nation has given up on these players too early and I'm concerned that they will not be given a chance under new leadership. Thanks. Crumb Wilson also asked about can the coaching change impact Rashad Vaughn and DJ Wilson? And I will toss it over to you, Mitchell. What do you think? So how, if at all, Jason Kidd's old school, hard-nosed, you know, somewhat, let's call it problematic approach to on-court leadership. <laughs> let's call for, it problematic, yes. Problematic's sure. a good word. Yes, it's a, it's a great catch-all. Another, another one of those corporate buzzwords for everybody <laughs> listening on their commute into the office this morning. I'll be joining you. Um, I mean, it's hard because there's a little bit of confirmation bias in that Giannis and Jabari and Malcolm and Sterling Brown all dealt really well with Jason Kidd. Well, like, Giannis is an MVP candidate. Jabari Parker is, you know, he's got some flaws, but he's really good. Malcolm Brown is really good. Sterling yeah. Brown is still a rookie, but he's been playing really well lately. You know, maybe this is just a hot streak for him. We don't know yet because it's such a small sample size. If we're talking about Rashad Vaughn and DJ Wilson, they're not like DJ Wilson's still a rookie, so he still gets the benefit of the doubt. But an old rookie, Rashad, he is an old rookie, which is a different problem altogether. But Rashad Vaughn is his third year and didn't get his fourth year option taken by the team. Like he's just not good. He's not productive on the floor. I can't say what he's like in practice. Like you know, I can't say that he. Was he like how many minutes did he play when he was a rookie? Was it over a thousand or yep. some ridiculous number for what he actually produced, which was abysmal for yes. a rookie? You know, mm, whatever. No, just in general, I think it was like the worst PR in the league. Okay, but we're, okay, but hey, he's still a rookie. <laughs> sure. Rookies are bad. You sure. taught me that, Eric. Rookies yes, are bad. That is true. Rookies had, are bad. I had to learn that from you. But like, he hasn't really gone anywhere since showing you know the ability to shoot the ball at least in the direction of the rim, yep. whether it went in or not is a different story. And DJ Wilson is so freaking soft whenever he's inside the arc. Like I love that he's a tall guy that can shoot, and he does move really well laterally. Uh, but him and Thon both don't really have particularly impressive ups. Like They don't get yep. vertical when they really ought to. And, you know, everybody's got their limits, but for basketball players verticality is something that you sh hopefully can do or at least are skilled enough to get around if you can't and he's, like dj wilson shies from contact routinely thon maker is so skinny that he can't hold his ground like you you put 250 pound sandbags around his ankles like he's still gonna get moved yeah. he's so light so i don't think it, for for kids many faults He's become somewhat of a boogeyman. I don't think that it's fair to blame, at least based on what we know, 
it's not fair to blame him for the struggles of Rashad Vaughn and Thon Maker and DJ Wilson because I think that's really more due to the abilities and talents currently of Rashad Vaughn, Thon Maker, and DJ Wilson. Yeah, I think with Kidd, it was always interesting. Um, development was a big part of any argument you would put forth for Jason mm-hmm. Kidd having value and being a good NBA coach. And certainly you can point to Giannis and Chris. Um, as like the major examples of of that idea. And then I would always hear, well, then why didn't Rashad Vaughn improve? Or why didn't MCW improve? Or why didn't Thon Maker improve? And it's just like, well, because they're bad. Like, <laughs> I think it, it doesn't matter how good of a player development person you are. Like, if you have a bad player, well, they're a bad player. Like, there's just... There's just not really any way around it. Um, so I guess that kind of ties into this where I, th- I think certainly Rashad might have been uh, better suited to have a coach that was positive all the time and was going to continue to give him minutes even through some struggles. And he was going to have people co- encouraging him to shoot. Um, and obviously we heard about uh, from Sports Illustrated mind games for younger guys. Yeah. So I like I can – just thinking about Rashad Vaughn the person, like I could see that not working particularly well for him. But at the same time, there were times, like you said, a thousand minutes as a rookie. There were times where he'd get in the rotation and then he just wouldn't hit shots. And that was that's always been the big thing for Rashad is there are minutes for you because the Bucks don't really have any twos. Like to this day, they don't really have any twos. Like Chris Middleton's a three. Tony Snell's mm-hmm. a three. Sterling mm-hmm. Brown's probably a three at the moment. Maybe he can be a two someday. Jets a two. Rashad would be a two. Like so there's still minutes to be had at the two, but because Rashad couldn't take any of those minutes, they've moved everyone else to the two. It's like, uh, well, I don't really have a two. Uh let's move Chris down. Or let's move Malcolm Brogdon up to a two instead of a one. And they've found ways to survive there. But there's always been minutes for Rashad to have. Um, and he just really hasn't taken advantage. So um, maybe there will be, a, 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 as I mentioned last night, the big thing with Joe Prunty thus far has been positive Prunty. Um, everyone that, when they're describing him and the way he coaches, the first thing is positive. But at the same time, that's what assistant coaches are. Like the assistant coaches mm-hmm. are never going to, are very rarely going to be the asshole. Like that's <laughs> not their job. Their job is to comfort you and to support you and to give you uh, the positivity that you need while the coach can be the bad cop and say what needs to be said and maybe get in your face a little bit. So I don't know what happens. Like maybe in a week, all of a sudden Joe Prunty needs to yell at Rashad and, then it's just over. Like that, that could very well be it. So we'll have to see. But I think it it is important to remember that sometimes guys are just bad. Um, and true. if they are just bad, like you can fault the personnel people that brought them in. And that was kind of the problem with Kid was that when guys were bad, there was also the kind of idea that oh, was he also in charge of personnel that brought him in? So I can still blame him, right? So there was just always kind of like this self-defeating circle uh, for Jason Kidd. So we will see, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, Moving on to our next question from Josh Lloyd at 
at redrock underscore b-ball he is the host of locked on fantasy basketball so if you want to listen to that if you have a fantasy basketball team he would be the guy to listen to because he is impossibly good at what he does um i've listened to a show and just been like how could you possibly understand the rotations of this many teams and know who's going to be in and he's just awesome so if you want well, to not, not everybody has to follow the rotations of the jason kid era <laughs> milwaukee bucks i mean for us like that's a, a huge project in its own um so yeah but he, he's always right on top of it uh he asked should sterling brown receive equal playing time to tony snell moving forward or will he go back to a bit player when Giannis returns that one's interesting. Which way do you lean there, Mitchell? Obviously, we've seen Tony take a little bit of a backseat here, and obviously Sterling get a little bit more opportunity. But where does kind of all of that shake out? Yeah, see, the thing that it comes down to for me is that both of these players are 3 and D wings. They both shoot the three on offense, and they're supposed to play hard-nosed defense. Um, Tony Snell started the year on a tear shooting. He was lights out, like almost every game. And then he got hurt. <clears throat> it was out for, excuse me. It was out for a while. And, yeah, he has taken a little bit of that regression, um, whereas Sterling Brown has uh, you know, found his groove and seems to be playing relatively well. I don't have his numbers in front of me, so I don't know exactly what Sterling is shooting lately, but he's definitely better. Is it, and Please correct me if I'm wrong, but and maybe it's just because of his activity level and maybe I'm uh, immune to his foul rate, which I'm sure is up there, but... If we compared Sterling's defense to Snell's defense, like, is it that far off considering Sterling's a rookie? Um, I would say probably not. I know I'm kind of cold-ish on Tony Snell's defense. That was something over the summer that I kind of questioned about how good of a defender he is. Like, he's he's often in the right position, um, and he's kind of around, but at the same time, I don't know that he's particularly active. I don't know that he's racking up steals. Like, he's just there, and, like, he's going to be in position, but I don't know how much more he's mm. get kind of giving you um, while Sterling, it is very active hands and it is uh, a really a ton of activity. Um, so I would, I mean, I, I guess you kind of even that out with some of the fouls from Sterling, um, but he has kind of been able to control it outside of those games where I think he had five and one and four in the other in very quick order. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think it's probably close. Yeah, and and the thing that the thing that Sterling brings, I know I know that you have your term for it, uh, and I will offer the again the corporate term. Sterling is an action oriented defender. <laughs> he likes to get involved and get his hands. Are dirty. you saying my term is not appropriate in corporate settings? Is that what uh, is that what you're trying to suggest? It depends on the level of the meeting. The higher you get, the more appropriate <laughs> it is somehow. <laughs> But it is kind of a bell curve. Like at the bottom, uh, exactly. it's very appropriate, and at the top, very appropriate. But in the middle, not appropriate at all. For sure, I think you nailed it right in the head. Um, but I'm actually, I finally did pull it up, and their shooting, their shooting percentages are actually pretty similar. Tony Snell's at forty two point two. Sterling Brown is at forty two point nine. Of course, Tony Snell takes like three times as many attempts from three per game, uh, if you break that down to per 36, so it's a little bit more normalized, uh, it looks like, yeah, Tony Snell's still taking, you know, about a half of a three-pointer per 36 more than Sterling Brown, which, you know, which makes sense, because Tony Snell's three-point attempt rate is just that much higher. Um, 
I would be okay with Sterling Brown taking a little bit of a back seat, considering I, I'm a big fan of Tony Snell in the starting lineup instead of Malcolm Brogdon. Um, that's you know an opinion that I, I think one of you and Frank share. I'm not. I it don't. It is. We, we share. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. I fit right in. You do. Um, but if Sterling Brown is going to be playing at this improved level, I think that he would definitely help the second unit, which would also benefit from Malcolm Brogdon's presence. Um, so if it was going to be up to me, I would definitely want Tony Snell to be playing more minutes as long as he's playing them effectively. Uh, whereas Sterling Brown is going to be getting more minutes than he did at the beginning of the year. And his minutes, although less than Tony Snell's, are going to also be more effective than they were before. I mean, essentially... I I don't know that Sterling Brown is going to usurp Tony Snell's minutes or do anything like that, but throughout the season we've seen Tony Snell kind of get bumped down at different times. So I'm curious if that was a Jason Kidd kind of thing, where Maybe. where he was upset with a lack of aggressiveness from Tony Snell or a lack of willingness to pull the trigger or whatever it may be. So I'm curious with the change to Joe Prunty, does that mean the green light for Tony Snell will come back out and he will stop passing up some of those shots? So I think that'll be kind of interesting to watch. But also at the same time, I think what you're looking at is less Delhi, right? Like less Delhi, no Jason Terry, and Sterling Brown takes those minutes. And that yep. on most nights can be double digits. I don't know that it'll get up to like 20 minutes, but if he can take 10 minutes a night, like those second quarter, second half of the second, or like uh, start of the second quarter minutes and then the start of the, or end of the third quarter and maybe just the start of the fourth, like that's 10 minutes a night. And if like that's what you get for Sterling Brown the rest of the, the rest of the year, maybe it would be better to get him even more than that. But if you can get Tony Snell back to kind of where he was at the start of the year, if you can get him confident again after that injury he had, and then Sterling Brown take on some of Delhi's minutes and bump those down a little bit, like I think you have a more um, efficient and effective lineup. So we'll see if that's the case. Um, as far as should, uh, like that's what the question is actually asking. Should Sterling Brown receive equal playing time? I don't think he should receive equal playing time to Tony Snell quite yet. I don't think you want to put that on a rookie. So mm. we'll see. Um, actually, the next question we get from uh, Glenn Dixon is, is Brogdon a better candidate to start for the rest of the season over Snell given his ball handling skill and consistent performance? And he does have more ball handling skill, and he does yes. have more consistent performance. Yes. No doubt about it. No disagreement from me, but I don't think he's a better candidate to start the rest of the season because you need guys in the starting lineup that can just kind of be there and not need the ball and not need the playmaking. Like You're at a point now where with Chris Middleton, Giannis Adetokounmpo, Eric Bledsoe, like those other two starters should probably be like placeholder role player type guys. Yep. And John Henson is one of them. Tony Snell can be the other. Move Brogdon back into you know, the bench unit. And again, if you want to close with Brogdon instead of Tony Snell, I think that's ultimately fine with me. Um, I still might prefer Tony Snell out there, but depending on who's hot that night, whatever, like you can make that decision then. But Brogdon with the second unit, I think to me just helps so much so that you can stop seeing some of those Chris Middleton plus four bench guys Ugh. units, which can be really brutal because 
there's no longer a bench guy that's Malcolm Brogdon. Instead, it's Matthew Dellavedova or Sterling Brown, and he, he just needs an extra playmaker with him. Right, and that's, that's like Malcolm Brogdon is an excellent player. I would love to have him be the starting point guard, and if Eric Bledsoe was somehow willing and able to come off the bench, then great, I'll make that swap. I'll have Eric Bledsoe be my sixth man, sure. But that's not the situation that we're in. That's not going to happen. So having Malcolm Brogdon and all of the excellence that he brings to the court against other second units is just more advantageous. Yeah. It keeps the bench from falling off a cliff whenever Giannis isn't on the floor and you know takes the onus off of Chris Middleton from being the primary everything when Giannis isn't on the floor. And you know he can shoot from three. He can get to the rim. He can post up smaller guards. He's got that excellent baseline reverse move yep. that he pulls off at least twice a game by now um <clears throat> excuse me like he's an excellent player he needs to be coming off the bench given the current roster makeup yep i would agree i think that that makes logical sense to me so we will move on um we will go to some other kind of minutes rotations questions chris Seibert asks which players minutes are most likely to be impacted by the coaching change I mean, I don't. I honestly don't really know. My hope would be that maybe a coaching change and uh, Jason Kidd being out of town, not still coaching for his job, would mean that you're going to see less Giannis and less Chris. And maybe with Joe Prunty, they won't be first and second in the league in minutes per game. I think that would be a, a welcome sight. And then beyond. Joe Prunty is also kind of coaching for a job too, so he also could fall into that trap. Sure, sure, and and I think that'll be interesting to see. Is are there mandates? Are there edicts from ownership for Joe Prunty? Is the message okay? Jason was just such a, a negative force that we needed to get him out, and you can keep doing everything the same, or is it? Well, we thought Giannis and Chris were being played too much, so get their minutes down. We thought the defense was not it good enough so make some tweaks there like i'm very curious to watch these next couple games i'm curious to watch this weekend to see exactly what this bucks team looks like um but for our most likely i i think that honestly might be where i would say most likely is that you will see those minutes go down um the only other one would be sterling brown getting more minutes but also i think you might have seen that even if jason kidd had stuck around yeah no i I don't see any big changes in the rotation either um besides if you want like a cop-out answer i think jabari parker's gonna get a lot more minutes the second half of the year well done yep got it let's see todd asks with current roster and injuries middleton has been playing down to three and four minutes do you see middleton going back to more two minutes once jabari returns or staying in that three role i think that's a a really interesting question um i mean chris is kind of man he just kind of goes wherever they need to fill a bunch of minutes on any given night right like I, i don't know if there's anything I can say predictive in in that spot just because when they needed someone at the four and didn't trust DJ Wilson, Chris Middleton did it. And for the last couple of years, when they needed a two guard, Chris Middleton did it. And now they don't need him to be a two guard and they can move Tony Snell down there. So then he's a three. So I don't know that you'll see him go down to two. I don't love, um, I don't really love the idea of any lineups with 
nominal point guard, whoever you want it to be, Middleton, Parker, Adetokounmpo, unless it that is your 3-4-5. If that's your 2-3-4, I don't love it. Like I just don't love that you're <laughs> downsizing and then um, – or I should say upsizing really because you're playing Giannis as – are you playing Jabari as a three when in reality he's a four? And I mean, it speaks to kind of the difficulty of this, I guess the partnership of Giannis and Jabari ever really working out um, because they're both fours. Like there's, there's literally no way around that. They both are best suited to play the four. They are, they are best suited to play the four, but it isn't like they're both, limited to where they can exist on the floor like jabari is a good based on what we saw last year a good three-point shooter yep and you know hopefully could come back to be that and Giannis doesn't necessarily shoot threes but you know if he's on the perimeter he gets a lane to drive like that's where he excels uh as well as his uh blossoming mid-range game which isn't necessarily i I wouldn't i would hesitate to call it good but it's definitely getting getting there there. it's getting there um if the Bucks were going to install a defense that made sense with the roster and they were going to switch a lot more instead of blitzing and trapping mm-hmm. like they were so erroneously under the previous regime, I don't necessarily disbelieve that Middleton, Jabari, and Giannis can all coexist at the two, three, four, the nominal 2-3-4 spots because it's not necessarily that the positions are numbered. It's that you just have you have a smaller guard – that's going to be your nominal point guard. But, you know, whether that's Bledsoe or Brogdon, like those are both good point guards. They just happen to have size and length. Uh, and then you play a five, which would probably be John Henson because he's the best five on the roster. Yeah. Uh, I, hey, he's good. He's, he's, he's been okay good. This. He's been good. He's been good. He's been good and he stayed good and nobody expected it and he <laughs> still is. And we all owe John Henson a big round of applause and a minor apology. You know, no apology. I, well, I mean, I wouldn't. Nope. I didn't believe in him. Nope. nope, not gonna apologize. I refuse. <laughs> That's fine. I won't make you. Um, I, yeah, this is my show. You don't get to tell me to do things. Come on. <laughs> That's fair. I, here I thought I was going to try to depose the king, but I, I, I left my revolution at home. I'm sorry. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I feel like that if you want your best players on the floor, you have to figure out a way to make it work. The defense is always going to be a concern just because it's Jabari Parker, regardless of the system. Jabari is going to be a question mark on defense. But there's, I mean, if you have good defenders around him and all the other players we talked about are good defenders that would be sharing the floor, like, I don't think it's impossible for Chris to go back to playing more shooting guard-esque minutes. I, I think it could work. Like, Chris can shoot. Jabari can shoot. You know, Giannis drives. Bledsoe will shoot which is nice, I guess. Yeah. Brogdon can shoot. Like there's, there's a lot of tools there. I'm certainly not the man to figure out exactly how it all works together and becomes this elite unit that can score and defend. But you know, stranger things have happened. Yeah, man. It's just scares me. I just, I don't think it uses Giannis in, I don't, I, I guess that might be maximizing the roster, but is not maximizing those two players, if that makes any sense. The no, fact that's that, that that's fair. The fact that one of them gets to be covered by a three 
talking about Jabari and Giannis, like that ultimately hurts them. Like they should be going up against fours or fives because then Mm -hmm. that quickness that they have really kind of sets things off for you and really kind of can, can exploit other teams. And I just don't know if you get that when it's Middleton two, Jabari three, Giannis four. Um, So I don't know. It'll be curious. Uh, I mean, we can't really all we can do is speculate and i know frank and i kind of talked about this last night like we don't know what joe prunty looks like as a coach and yeah. you can kind of go to his what was it 17 game stretch or maybe a little bit less no, um, 17 on the dot uh the other year and talk about that but at the same time like he wasn't the coach he was filling in for the coach with jason kidd still there and now he's He's, he is filling in as the coach, but there's no one else above him. Like this is this is his chance, and this is his opportunity to kind of show off what he can do as a coach. So uh, we'll have to see what he can do, and we'll have to see how all of that kind of moves around. Um, we kind of talked about Jabari, and we I guess we got a number of Jabari questions here. Um, some of them are kind of related, so we'll knock out two of those now. Uh, Zach asked, friend of the show, all at all the Bucks. Dean was of the opinion that once Jabari returns, the Bucks should start Jabari at power forward and Giannis at center. Is that too much stress on Giannis? What would y'all's starting lineup be, closing lineup? Wisco Scoot asked, when Jabari returns, do you see him as our sixth man, or does he eventually work his way into the starting lineup? Regardless, I'm excited for Bledsoe, Brogdon, Mitty, Bari, Giannis lineups at some point. And I, that's pretty it's, much my response. I don't know. It's tempting. It's tempting, right? Yeah. Like the idea of Giannis, who is a legitimate seven-foot player, who also happens to have the skills of every other position on the floor besides outside shooting, like putting him at center is really tempting, but that's a big burden to bear physically. Yes, totally. Um, every time Dean has brought this up to me, whether it's him and I just having a conversation, exchanging messages, or it's on Twitter, um, whatever it may be, like I don't want to put Giannis through that yet. Like I'm not interested in that. And again, it does absolutely maximize everything that you have. Like that's it gets at exactly what I was talking about before. The fact that. Yeah. If you move Giannis to the five, he's able to kind of maximize what he can do offensively, and you're really going to struggle to cover him. And then that allows you to move Jabari to the four, and teams are going to struggle to cover him there. And it allows you to get a bunch of shooting on the floor. And, like, it all makes sense, but use it as a death lineup. Like, use it sparingly. Um, Just because I don't don't know that you want to have Giannis covering fives for – and, again, starting lineups don't play the entire game. They end up playing more than most lineups. Um, so so it, there's going to be a heavier diet of him at the five, but I could kind of get it, but I just I just need those lineups, I think, to be used sparingly at this point. Yeah. Just, On the flip side, can you imagine fast breaks if Giannis is at center, Jabari is at power forward, Eric Bledsoe's at point guard? It's pretty like, fun. That is a terrifying proposition for the other team. Absolutely. It really, like, there's not a ton of, besides, you know, Giannis is a very good shot blocker, obviously, but there's no real other rim protection on the floor there. So the defense would either have to find ways to funnel the ball handler into lanes where they would be uh, exposed to 
Giannis swooping in uh, either from the strong side or the weak side if he's going to be playing center. Like, there's no really what, real way to tell. Another possibility, and I know nobody's going to like it because I don't even like saying it, but maybe if you have Jabari defending centers because he's a little bit more stout. Um, he is barrel-chested. He is barrel-chested. I was going to say that <laughs> Jabari isn't dealing with a sore knee issue like Giannis is, but I think Jabari is going to forever be dealing with a sore knee issue if my experience is any indication. And maybe Giannis as well. Probably. Probably. So it's just... Yeah, like, is that too much stress on Giannis? Right now, absolutely. With the current makeup of the roster and the way that everything fits together right now, like, that's, he's already doing everything. Don't also ask him to body up against Boogie Cousins or Andre Drummond or Carl Anthony Towns or all these other monsters that have found their way into the NBA. Like, yeah. those guys are just, they're going to grind him down even more than Jason Kidd was grinding him down. Ooh. That was nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I understand the reasoning behind it. I would just be fearful that it is it is too much on Giannis right now. Um, I'll tell you it, what, in, two, in 2K, Gian, like center Giannis all day. <laughs> this is true. And I'm sure our friend Dean will tell me all of the reasons why I'm wrong and find some statistics that can back up why Giannis would be able to handle 15 minutes at center every night. But nerd, I don't care. Um, <laughs> Nerds. <laughs> um, as far as when Jabari returns, do you see him as a sixth man, or does eventually he work his way into the starting lineup? I think uh, ideally you want to work him into the starting lineup, but I've said this many times before. I said this when Eric Bledsoe came over. Yeah. I want the bench to work. Like I yes. want the bench to not be total garbage. And the way that nothing really changed when Bledsoe came over was really concerning because it was still the exact same of, all right, we'll start Eric and Chris and Giannis all together, but I'm not concerned about staggering uh, Giannis and Eric. I'm just going to stagger Chris and Giannis like it's always been. And then all of a sudden I you get to see garbage Chris Middleton and four bench guy units, and it's just not good. Like it's not good basketball, and it's not a good way to use your resources. So I largely don't care at all if Jabari Parker starts, if Jabari Parker comes off the bench. I just want units to be maximized. And I've seen very little of that thus far this season. So it, it that kind of goes back to our other question about which players are most likely to be impacted by a coaching change. I would love for all of their minutes to be impacted by a coaching change to make bench units that work. Like that, yep. that is what I would like to see. I'll agree with that. I, I will say this in terms of closing lineup. Uh, if you if I could put out a lineup of let's say last five minutes, you put out Bledsoe, Snell, Middleton, Jabari, Giannis. I think that's a really exciting lineup for this season. Yeah, I can be in, I can be into that. I I think you probably have enough defense, and if teams really want to post up on Giannis or Jabari, good. Like, let them yeah. try to post up and hit an inefficient shot, and don't double. Please, God, don't double. Please, don't double anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I, I could get into that, um, and I think you can do some. Some exciting stuff by changing Snell around a little bit, by changing uh, Brogdon and kind of moving some stuff around there. So I, I think there would be some other stuff there that you could do. But I'm, I'm down with that closing lineup. Um, I'm trying to think if we have another Jabari question. Oh, from our good friend, the Sith Lord. He asks, what was slash is truly worst? 
is excuse me let me try that again what was what was slash is truly worse jabari parker's defense or the defensive scheme itself and i gotta say if you are a jabari parker truther i would assume that you pray that jason kidd's defensive scheme was so bad that it made Jabari Parker look like one of the least capable defenders I've ever seen on an NBA court. Like that would have to be your hope. And I would say, I don't necessarily believe that. I think he's still going to be a bad defender, but at the same time, it's possible that that defensive scheme really messed him up and made everyone look bad because now this year we're seeing good defenders look bad. Like there's, there's been, I mean, Middleton's been, bad defensively this season we've seen Giannis struggle at times where he's over aggressive under aggressive losing cutters and like we've seen good defenders be bad in the scheme this year more than we had in other years so uh, I can understand the the viewpoint of hoping that Jabari Parker is not bad defensively and can someday just be below average like i i get that um but at the same time i don't think it's necessarily likely i don't know i don't know that i agree honestly given not just the stress that the scheme puts on players even to your point like good defenders that for whatever reason as a unit they were not able to handle it and that's why the defensive rating suffered as much as it did after year one uh of the kid era um but you know jabari is gonna struggle on defense maybe it is some sort of i'm not gonna say it's a mental thing because the guys play basketball for as long as he's been alive practically so it's it's not that he doesn't get defense but on some level it might just be the the chasm between knowing what to do and executing what to do like just for for everybody everybody's got something in their life that they know that they can do it and then just like when the time comes it just doesn't happen right Sure. And for Jabari, that just might be certain things on defense. Like, he's definitely a good enough athlete. If his knee holds up, there's no reason why he can't execute on defense. He just hasn't so far. I think, and I'm putting on my optimist hat for a moment here, that between very his... Clearly. Very clearly. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very, like, wide-brimmed top <laughs> hat. It's very ostentatious. <laughs> You're definitely wearing it to the Kentucky Derby. Oh, you know. You already know. Um, I think that the combination of Jabari's terrible fit for the defensive scheme that was slash kind of sort of is still in place and Jabari's relationship with Kid, which I don't care what he says. I do not believe that him and Kid got along. I really don't. Yep, it I was icy. It. it was yeah. icy. Like, I think that I think there's just too many different factors at play that kept Jabari from being successful a number of them under his control so it's not like he's without any sort of blame but I think that playing a defense that makes more sense in the modern NBA era and specifically one that isn't so easily solved by a competent opponent I think that Jabari might make the jump from I don't know abysmal to below average which is you know huge. Money that would be yeah that would be huge yes I don't think it's going to happen Maybe this year we might see flashes of it, you know, depending on what Joe Prunty and Sean Sweeney do with him as they reintegrate him into the defense and into the team as a whole. 
Um, and and then of course with the defense, like they, they are likely going to make some changes. So like we talked about before, I would be shocked if they made these changes and we're just going to be like, okay, roll out the same defense. Like that's totally fine. I I can't imagine that'd be the case. The Bucks have done it once before. This is true. Well, that's, that's a good Dean question. He's the one that's got the tables and everything, uh, tracking everything. But, uh, I don't know. I think, I think that even again, as one of the strongest defenders for years, really, and I'll, I'll have to own that because I did, I thought the defensive scheme could work and it didn't. It just flat out, it kept not working. Oh, but just maybe if they do this, <laughs> nope, because that got figured out. Oh, maybe if they just do that, nope. And then you know, after a certain point, what else are you going to do other than say they have to try harder? Yeah, that, I, I mean, there was, yeah, if you weren't going to make strategic changes, your hope had to be that somehow, some way, energy and effort would make that happen. Um, yeah. So, We'll see. I'm. I'm. I don't even like. I don't even think this is possible because they are two contrasting viewpoints. But I will say I will be very, 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 very skeptically optimistic. Um, those are two very different words and don't go together. But I, I think you nailed it. You did a good uh, job. That that is kind of where I'm at. Uh, just because uh, there was so many decisions and defensive plays that Jabari has made in the past that I just thought were so bad that at times didn't really have much to do with the scheme um, that I'm not super hopeful, but I will more than willingly allow for Jabari Parker to be seen playing defense under a different coach. Like he's never had a different one. Like this is the only coach and coaching staff he's ever been with. So there yep. could very well be, and maybe that means it's not this year. Maybe that means it's next year um, with the new coaching staff, and maybe he can come around. We will see. Um, do you think, do, really, really quick? Do you think Jabari's defense can get ever ever get on the level that Kevin Love's defense is? Because mm. like he's not a good probably, defender. Probably, yeah. I mean, he's a bad defender, but he's not the worst defender. He tries hard. Yeah, effort isn't really a problem with Jabari. There's times where he tries so hard that he takes himself out of position. Like that was the thing that he's done before. So, um, and again, like I said, maybe this is just getting a different defensive system, hearing different perspectives, and maybe that is kind of what can help Jabari figure it out. So we will see. Um, Up next, we have Peter who asked, can you go through the minutia of how the Bucks can keep Plumlee the rest of the season and if he is worth it or if we are just starving for any somewhat competent big man? <laughs> well, what I'll say is these are the type of questions I say for Frank, and most of the time I will just toss it to Frank and then do something yeah. else for three minutes as he goes through every single possible piece of cap minutia. Since he is not here, I will say this. Um, they can have him fulfill all of his two-way days. Um, he can come in and do that. And then I mean, with the two-way, once you're out of two-way days, you can just go play with the G League team. Like You can still be a two-way guy that's out of days. Um, yeah. So they, it, it's totally within their rights to keep him there the rest of the year. Um, but if someone comes in and wants to sign him to an NBA contract, like, then, he, then he leaves. So we'll start there. Um, I don't know if he'll be there kind of for as long as he has days. Um, but after that, and I think we're about to get into some trade talk, but I would assume Rashad Vaughn gets cut at some point this year or gets traded. 
Like, I've had a bunch of people ask this for the last month, like, why aren't the Bucks cutting Rashad Vaughn? Like, they didn't pick up his extension. Even in garbage time, he doesn't play. Like, they're clearly done with him. And my answer is, well, that cuts down your flexibility. If you cut Rashad right. Vaughn and sign the guy that you want, if you, as you get closer to trade time, need $2 million to even out a deal, if you need a roster spot for a two-for-one deal, like, if you need to have that, well, you just gave guaranteed money to someone else to fill Rashad Vaughn's spot. Right. Are you just going to eat that? Like, I think you would accept eating Rashad Vaughn's contract, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't accept eating Rashad Vaughn's contract, signing someone else to a contract, and then eating that contract. Um, so really what it's about right now is flexibility. Um, so I think once we get to the trade deadline, which is just uh, about two weeks away, that's February 8th, yeah, it's, it's the first year where it's so much uh, earlier than the All-Star game. I'm really bad at, yeah, that's literally two weeks from today. We were recording this on Thursday the 25th. Um, two weeks from today at 2 p.m. would be the trade deadline. So in two weeks from now, I think, is is when you'll see some of that. So I think if Plumley makes an impact in the time that he's here, and I've been very impressed thus far with him screening and catching basketballs, um, which shouldn't impress me. Like, let me valuable skills from a big man that shouldn't impress me. But with the way that John Henson plays and the way that Thumbmaker plays, those are two things that stand out. Um, mm-hmm. He's kind of able to do those things, and it has been a big help. So, I will save that question for Frank. Frank can hopefully answer that in even more detail. But I would say, just wait two weeks, and then you'll kind of figure out the roster, and it'll sort itself out. Um, so with that being said, let's get into some trade questions um, as we get a couple from people. Actually, while we're here, um, we just talked a lot about Jabari Parker. I probably should have said this before I switched over to Marshall Plumley. Um, but with Jabari Parker, uh, today we got to talk with him after practice. After practice, he told us that uh, his personal coach um, – Frank Johnson has been let go by the team. Um, mm-hmm. So now that makes it uh, three assistant coaches that the Bucks have uh, let go. That's Tim Gergerich, Eric Hughes, and Jabari Parker. And uh, I have. Uh, Frank Johnson. Oh, sorry. Not Jabari Parker. He is not an <laughs> assistant coach. He is actually on the team. Um, but. Frank Johnson is Jabari Parker's personal coach, and uh, Jabari said that obviously it was kind of tough for him because they've become so close and all of that. And I had a number of people ask why would they get rid of Jabari's personal coach, and I guess my response would be that he is not his personal coach in the same way that Sean Sweeney is Giannis's personal coach. Um, they got him to help Jabari through this ACL injury. Like that was that was why Frank Johnson was there. He was there to help him through that process. Yeah. And the process isn't quite over, but it's awfully close to being over. Like I, I think we're we're getting Closer and closer, Jabari's practicing has been ramped up a little bit, and he's doing some more of that. He's going back and forth with the herd, playing five on five there. Like he's getting very close. And I know the next question means, well, what does very close mean? Is that tomorrow? Is that that? I don't know. I don't know what very close is, but he's closer than he has been. And by the day, we are getting closer to him seeing the floor. So I would say that Frank Johnson's job is pretty much done. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really do anything other than 
go through those workouts with Jabari and help him out. And he had, uh, he was a Jason Kidd guy and he was here because Jason Kidd brought him in here to do that, to get Jabari through this. So now that Jabari is through it, like he doesn't have any other responsibilities. Like Sean Sweeney has other responsibilities. Uh, Josh Broghammer, other responsibilities, Greg Foster, other responsibilities. Um, like all those guys, Stacey Ogman, other responsibilities. Like they weren't just in charge of getting Jabari back and healthy. So I don't think there's a, a, obviously the conspiracy theorists came out like, oh, are they going to trade Jabari because they're getting rid of his guy? Like, why do they care more about Giannis than Jabari? Like, I don't think any of that is true. I just think Jabari is done with his rehab, and the guy that they brought in to help him through that rehab is no longer needed. That would be the extent of it to me. So yeah, that says that says it all. I, I have nothing to add. Okay, I just wanted I just wanted to make that clear because there was a bit of a I don't I want to say freak out but a, a bit of a, a response to that this afternoon. Okay, moving to trades. Mark Fenster asks: Agree or disagree? Best to stand pat at the trade deadline in the face of coaching uncertainty. Well, Mitchell, what say you? Um, I mean, the coaching uncertainty that we're faced with is that we're uncertain who the coach is going to be next year. You know, I still think mm-hmm. the team is pretty strongly invested in winning this year. You know, the, despite all of the consternation about expectations a little bit earlier, uh, like the team still expects to compete in the first round of the playoffs. They still expect to win a decent number of games. You know, 50 maybe isn't on the table anymore, even though it should have been the goal all along. If they don't meet it, that means they failed to meet that expectation. Uh, but 46, 48 is, you know, Unlikely, but still possible. And if there's a trade out there that can help them get there, then it would be great for them to chase that. And I think that they will. Uh, I don't see what that trade could be, given the current candidates on the various uh, parts of the trading block. You know, I don't see who's out there that would be a really good get for them. So I think they will end up standing pat, just because of the way that the salary cap is set up and the way that all of their players are in kind of these different weird spots like people aren't necessarily going to be giving up the farm for thon maker because he's regressed and yep. i know somebody reported that the bucks were going to insist on including rashad vaughn in a deal which other teams like I, why would you insist on including rashad vaughn when nobody like nobody's knocking down the door to trade for rashad vaughn Is i mean not, I, I mean it's essentially like to me well we don't want to cut the guy so we'll trade him to you and you can give him a chance like to me that's what all it means like it doesn't mean like we have to get rid of Rashad Vaughn you can get Rashad you can get rid of Rashad Vaughn at any moment like this is true it's two million dollars it literally doesn't matter um so you can get rid of him when you want to at this point because he's he didn't get his extension so um as far as whether or not to stand pat I'm totally fine at standing pat. Um, I don't think you need to force a move. I don't need. I don't think you need to make a huge move. Um, I think you'll see this Bucks team kind of go after something in the periphery, um, something a little bit smaller to hopefully get a little bit more depth. Um, but when you think about this roster, like there are there are a number of questions going into this off season and the off season after. I don't know that any of those questions are solved by making a huge trade. Like the question you have is Jabari Parker's contract. What happens yep. there? The question is Chris Milton is up in one and a half years. Do you want to sign his next contract? 
Eric Bledsoe, up in one and a half years. Do you want to sign his next contract? Um, like those, uh, those to me are the questions that that really matter. And I guess packing more more talent onto the roster, like making a DeAndre Jordan trade, like I just don't think makes a lot of sense to me. Like I would just like to see what the Bucks look like. Bucks minus Jason Kidd. Like if you thought Jason Kidd was as problematic as it appears he was, that you wanted to get rid of him midseason, don't you want to see this core without him? Right? Like I, I just don't know that one week and then making a trade next Thursday a week before the deadline. Like, I don't know if that makes any sense. I don't know if waiting until the deadline and then making a huge trade there, like, did you find out enough in those two weeks? So I would say, I, I think it's best to stand pat. Um, our other, another question we get from Rintero, should bucks move aggressively in the trade market? And if yes, should they go for a big fish such as Deandre or something smaller like Kylo Quinn or Dwayne Dedman? And to me, I think it's something smaller. Yeah, something smaller makes a lot more sense. I would be interested in Kylo Quinn. I would be somewhat intrigued by Dwayne Dedman. Uh, I want nothing to do with Deandre Jordan. Not that he's a bad player, but he's way too expensive and his contract is up too soon. And it's just, it's going to be more... Uh, in terms of paying the price to trade for him, that it's worth. Yeah, so, I, I would totally agree. And uh, on the latest low post with Brian Windhorst, uh, it was all about really the Cavs, but then they yeah. threw in a little bit other stuff. And this was literally the extent of there was a little bit of talk about Kyrie Irving and the Bucks over the summer and what they would have traded there. Um, but then of current stuff, there was these three sentences or so. Um, this was Zach Lowe on DeAndre Jordan to Milwaukee. I don't think there have been all that substantive DeAndre Jordan talks. I think the DeAndre Jordan Milwaukee talks have gone like Bucks. We would like DeAndre Jordan for this. Clippers? No. We want this. Bucks? No. Is there a middle ground? Clippers? No. End of conversation. And that, yep. that that was literally the three sentences that Zach mentioned about DeAndre Jordan to Milwaukee. And I think that would largely kind of be what I would suspect. I, I think if the Bucks can move aggressively like they did for Eric Bledsoe with DeAndre Jordan, I think they would love to do that. If they can get him for a deal, I think they would. But I don't think they're looking to give up a whole lot. And as we've talked about already on this podcast today – what do they have to give up? Like, uh, is it something that has a bunch of years going in the future? Like, what do the Clippers think they deserve? And I just can't imagine something like that working out. Yep. Peter asks, mailbag question, would you do a, var- a variation of a Middleton for Kevin Love trade? I am a Kevin Love stan. I fully admit it. I am very excited for the next chapter of his basketball life. I would never in a million years make a Middleton for Kevin Love trade because, as we've already mentioned, Jabari is a four. Yep. Giannis is a four. Yep. Kevin Love is a four. Oh, he's definitely not a five. So uh, I have 48 minutes, and maybe I can get creative and take like 12 minutes at the three and 15 minutes at the five. So between what would be three of the better guys on your roster. I have somewhere around 75 minutes, 25 minutes a night is not good enough for those three. Um, I did 
from a roster building perspective, it just does not make any sense to move Chris Middleton for Kevin Love. Now, Jabari Parker, maybe that makes a little bit more sense, but I can't I would do that. I would do that in a heartbeat, But if I'm being honest. Sure, but I also think you're adding quite a bit to Jabari Parker. Like, there's Jabari Parker and other things. Like, I, I, would, sure. I would be shocked if the Cavs are signing up for half a year of Jabari Parker for Kevin Love. Um, especially when we don't know if we'll see him before the trade deadline. Um, so I, I would say I would I'd be out on a Middleton for Kevin Love trade. I'd be interested in trading for Kevin Love, but not at the cost of Middleton because it just doesn't make positional sense the rest of the way around. Brian asked, besides Giannis, is there anyone on the roster who would be considered untouchable at the deadline? Hmm. I think the only person who even comes close to untouchable is Malcolm Brogdon uh, because he's still young. He's still at a super low salary. Yeah. Um, even because you look, at, you look at the other – what's that? I, said, I, I would say he'd be the only one I'd even think about, and even then, I don't – Right, yeah, and even, yeah, because exactly, even then. Like we know last summer, you know, reportedly it was him and Chris that were offered for Kyrie yep. when Kyrie was trying to get out of Cleveland. Um, but, you know, Chris Middleton – very good player, but given the way that his next contract situation is going to shake out, like there's a lot, there's enough reasons for trading him to make the conversation Absolutely. viable, yep. even if you don't want to trade him. So he's not untouchable. Jabari Parker, same thing. I am scared to death of what the contract is going to be for Jabari in the summer if the Bucks pay it. As much as I am, if the Bucks let him walk in restricted free agency and let him sign somewhere else, like I'm just <laughs> just being terrified of what happens with Jabari Parker this offseason is the most logical thing you right. can feel at this point because you, I have no idea what's going to happen. I have no idea how much they value him. I don't know how much is enough to value him. What is his yeah. value? What should you do with him? Are other teams interested? Will they sign him to a restricted free agency uh, sheet? Will you need to match it? Should you match it? Like. Oh, I just, God. They I just, can't handle it. I'm too scared. <laughs> you just keep going and going and going, and it's terrifying. So um, to answer the question, Brian, no one other than Giannis is untouchable. Um, he's untouchable, and that's it. And maybe even in his, his own mind. I know the other day he did say, you know, if the team the team needs to trade me, <laughs> I'm just kidding. He did say that, but there's no way in hell um, Giannis will be a buck until – you know what? He's just going to be a buck. Uh, we'll leave it at that. So um, last one, no more trade talk. Uh, Eric asks, what will Buck's Twitter complain about next? This feels very much like a question Eric name would ask. This is from Eric Sapnew who asked, what will Buck's Twitter complain about next? Where you will complain about Mitchell guest hosting in place of Frank on this podcast. That's almost a given. Yes, I, w- I would agree with that. Um, anything else Buck's Twitter will complain about? Um, let's see. Maybe I can see Delhi getting a lot more minutes than he possibly could deserve yep. for the rest of the season, that being a sticking point. Uh, people might fully turn on Chris Middleton. That's kind of already started. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I've seen some, uh, some of the more uh, active members of what was the, the whole Fire Kid thing uh, also referred to Chris Middleton in less than complimentary terms because of the way that he was playing for large stretches of games, which from a visual perspective, I don't necessarily blame them because pretty much undeniable. Game, 
Yeah, when, when his game isn't on, is not hitting those, you know, herky-jerky fadeaways from 14, 15 feet. He's, like, abs- yeah, that's, he's infuriating to watch. Yeah, it's, he's, a, he's a very difficult player to watch. It doesn't make him a bad player. But if he has more stretches like that where he's trying to carry the team and he's just not on that night, I can see Buck's mm-hmm. Twitter getting upset about that. Uh, if Eric Bledsoe can't shoot, that might be something. Uh, Thon Maker continues to not be able to jump. Are we sure? <laughs> I think I think it looks like people are sort of turning on Thon at this point. Yeah, um, I, I have. I definitely have. So I think maybe that is what's next. Um, I feel like, you know, like ESPN has like the next issue. Like that's kind of like the like yeah. the ESPN the magazine has that idea. Like what's next? So I feel like I can't say Middleton because they're already there. Like that's true. You know, what, Twitter right. already complains about Chris Middleton, so I can't say Chris Middleton. I would need to do something new and fresh. Um, so where I would go, Thon Maker might be it. I would also go to. Um, Joe Prunty, Joe Prunty's minute distribution, um, because that is always a hot topic, sure. and that is always something people want to talk about. In third, I would go to. I guess this is a bit of a derivation of that, but Javari Parker either not getting enough minutes or getting too many minutes because they're wearing him out or using him too much too soon. Like it's going to be one of those extremes. Like either Jabari Parker is clearly ready. He should be playing blank minutes a night, 35. Um or it's going to be Jabari Parker is not ready for this. He shouldn't be playing 35 minutes a night. Like I think that is that to me is what I I'm seeing coming out of uh this next portion of the season. So, um I think we are complete as I'm looking through. Did I miss anything on the sheet, Mitchell? I'm I'm looking through everything. I kind of hopped around to group things together, but I think we got them all. Uh, the last quick no, there's actually one more. It came in just at the wire. Uh, Eric, why do you hate good cereal, and why won't you admit that regular Cheerios are the most superior brand? Sounds like I, I'm losing your connection, Mitchell. Um, can't re- oh. I can't really hear you. Uh, you said something about... Regu- regular Cheerios being trash? Is that d- Did I get that right? You, this is all a farce. Everybody listening at home, Eric is misconstruing my words no, to try to make it sound like tra- I didn't say I don't I know if they're trash. That seems a little harsh, Mitchell. No, we're, we're on Skype. Nobody's driving through a tunnel right now, Eric. <laughs> oh, man. I, you bringing that up for the Brew Hoop Night Shift, the, uh, that just like kind of made me harken back to such a fun day on twitter like we ended up i I literally talked about cereal on twitter for i'm gonna say obviously not the entire time but on and off my mentions had cereal related topics for 12-ish hours of a day like it was morning i think like nine or ten in the morning until 10 plus at night like maybe even midnight like it was forever um so if you want to see the great cereal debate go to i don't even know look up cereals and my twitter at and maybe you'll find it i I don't know maybe you'll find something maybe mitchell's um mitchell is at whales larry is that right w-h-a-l-e-s-l-a-r-y whales like the animal larry like a person named larry in your life 
I do have one last question okay. if it comes to discussions on Twitter. Serials or Chappelle Show sketches? Um, hmm. Which one is harder to choose? Mm-hmm. Mm. Chappelle Show sketches. There's so many. They're all so good. I, oh, so good. It's, it's impossible to try to select what would be the best out of that. Uh, Mitchell, thank you very much for joining me for a night, Mitchell, and wasting your time on this mailbag. But unfortunately, you are not done quite yet. You do still have some responsibilities. The Milwaukee Bucks do play tonight. They play the Brooklyn Nets. And we'll keep this preview very short and hopefully very sweet. The Nets in offensive rating, 26th overall in defensive rating, 15th overall. They are 18-30 and 30 on the season, 12th in the Eastern Conference. Um, this is a team that has struggled. Um, obviously, they play a brand of basketball that a lot of people enjoy with Kenny Atkinson. Uh, Damari Carroll's kind of bounced back, and they do some generally fun things. Like, they... They get up a bunch of shots. Karis LeVert has kind of had a, a solid year. And yep. they just have a bunch of guys that are all kind of mediocre. Like they just kind of exist and are put into a system where they can make a bunch of plays. Spencer Dinwiddie has been awesome as of late. Um, he's really come on strong. So they just have a bunch of guys and the Nets always seem to be a team that the Bucks struggle against. Yeah, for sure. And they're also coming off of two days rest. So it's not like the Bucks in their long, empty week uh, since their last game is going to give them a huge advantage on rest. Although, if memory serves, they're not usually all that great when they have like three or more days of rest. They are not. I'll say, I'll say this. I haven't really paid attention to Jalil Okafor ever since he got traded to Brooklyn. Um, but if there is somebody that the Bucks can take advantage of and get points near the basket, Jalil Okafor is that player. And I, for one, look forward to Giannis coming back from his two-game hiatus and raining down some fire and fury to hopefully get Bucks fans' attentions back on the team and off of the former head coach, because I think that's what everybody needs. And a Friday night in the Bradley Center against, uh, you know, a sparky, spunky Nets team that always yeah. seems to, you know, give teams fits. But the Bucks are better. You know, let's let's get Bucks. So. Yeah, let's get the Bucks to the point where the talent they have on the roster, which is very, very good, can actually uh, beat teams that they're better than. And the Nets are the first opponent of several in the next couple of weeks that they're going to have an opportunity to do exactly that with. Yeah, the Bucks are undeniably better. Uh, the Nets have won three of their last ten, um, which sadly, I think the Bucks might be similar. Maybe they've lost six of eight before. Yeah, I think they actually might. The Bucks might be close to that as well. So this is a team that is playing bad, is not very good, and the Bucks should beat. But at the same time, this is a team that the Bucks have struggled with. And like you said, it would be nice if Giannis just came out and destroyed the Nets and just kind of went crazy to remind everyone that it's still basketball season. And even though the Bucks haven't played in three days, that like it's still basketball and we don't only need to talk about off the court stuff like we can actually talk about things on the court that is the thing i think i'm looking forward to most so we'll see what the bucks can do against the nets uh and see if they can get a win there on sunday they play the chicago bulls that is a 3:30 start i believe uh, uh so it, kind of a strange time but at least if you are a football fan there's no football this weekend so it's 
just kind of bucks on Sunday afternoon. So that will be that for today. Mitchell, I thank you again. Thank you for stopping by and filling in for Frank. You are more than welcome. And thank you to all of you for listening and for sending in all the questions. We always appreciate it. We always get way too many questions when we ask for our mailbag. Uh, You guys are the best. We very much appreciate it. We will talk to you again probably sometime Sunday evening after the Bucks and Bulls go at it. And we will... Break down that game, and we'll let you know what happened on Friday night as well. We'll do all that on the next Lockdown Bucks. For Mitchell and for Frank, I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks. Talk to you later.